I'm Mindy Abair, and you are listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast by Robert Miller. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream, and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 192 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Ricky Peterson, a musician's musician. He's played for 20 years with saxophone star David Sanborn, and he produced, wrote, and played keyboards with Prince. That's the real Prince. Along the way, he's performed with a who's who in the music business, including George Benson, Stevie Nicks, Bonnie Rayet, Billy Joel, James Taylor, Sheryl Crow, and Sting, just to name a few. Wow. And in the middle of this episode, like I do with all my musical guests, we are going to do a song fest. I have asked Ricky to pick out a handful of songs that he's either written or he's on or he's produced. And we're going to play a bit of them and we're going to talk about them and get the backstories and all the good stuff. And nobody else does this in podcasts. And you know that in each episode, I like to feature a song of mine underneath the introduction and at the end as well. And what you're hearing right now underneath this introduction is my song called Metro Shuffle from the PGS Experience album that was released by my band Project Grand Slam. I chose this song because, like Ricky's association with David Sanborn, this track features another saxophone star, Mindy Abair. So I thought it fit. So, Ricky Peterson, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. Hey, Robert, how are you, man? Thank you for letting me be here. This is great. I'm so pleased to have you on. All right, look, I want to have some fun with you. I looked something up on the internet and I said, okay, let me do this with Ricky. And that is, you're a Minnesota guy. I know that. You're born yep. in Minnesota. You're raised in Minnesota. You live in Minnesota. I don't know why. We'll figure that out later. <laughs> <laughs> in any event, I said to myself, there's got to be a bunch of famous rock stars that were born and raised in Minnesota. Now, the two easy ones are Dylan and Prince. They're from Minnesota. But let's name a couple of the others. Can you do that? Man, well, it goes, you know, if I, you kind of, kind of, kind of caught me on a thing, I got to tell you, you know, where Bonnie Raitt got her start over here also. She, she actually really, she is not did. from here, but she got her start here. There's a bunch of different players here. I got to, I got to really think about that, Robert. All right. I'm going to give you a hint here. There's yeah. a guy in the Eagles that's from Minnesota. The guy in the, one of the original Eagles. You got to tell me because I'm not hip. All right. Bernie Ledden is from minnesota okay there's a guy named jonathan edwards who had a big hit called sunshine in 1971 sunshine go away today i don't feel much like dancing he's from minnesota and then the other guy that i thought was worth mentioning is eddie cochran summertime blues baby sometimes i wonder but i'm a oh man well, i know eddie <laughs> oh you do 
Well, I met him a long, long time ago when he was, uh, you know, um, I, I think he's just, he's gone now, isn't he? I think you're probably right. Yeah, yeah. I met him many, many, many years ago, but I had no idea, man. You got the list right there because I had no idea those people were from Minneapolis. I had no idea. Or Minnesota. Well, you know, I didn't know initially either, but I said to myself, look, Minnesota is not exactly a hotbed of music. At least people don't think of it that way. They right. think of L.A., they think of New York. But tell us about your experience growing up in Minnesota, and you're still there. So, you know, tell us about that. Well, I tell you what, my parents, I'll let you know about these guys, first of all. My mother and father both played jazz uh, growing up. So we grew up in a house full of music from the year I was born. I mean, they were there uh, in Richfield, Minnesota, doing big band stuff in the basement. They'd have rehearsals. My mother was a singer and a great jazz pianist. My father was the arranger and a great jazz pianist. And they did, they were on WCCO radio for very, very many years, which is a local radio station that that casted their spell over or the the five state area here in the upper midwest and uh this is how we grew up and this is why we loved music i mean my whole family siblings everybody grew up with this thing knowing that there was music in the house at all times we would go out and play with our friends and ask them what their parents played <laughs> you know hey what does your dad play what do you mean play did your parents play full-time or was this more of a part-time kind of thing? No, they were full-time. My dad was a full-time. Um, he also, you know, he, he booked bands. He booked like Sonny and Cher he, and all the, all the big bands that would come through Minneapolis. He would have the big band that would play for them. And uh, I remember going to some of those at the, like the Minneapolis auditorium. I would go to, when he was going to set up, I would go with him and I was, you know, five years old, five, six years old. And, and, uh, and all these big bands uh, would come and he would be the main guy. That, uh, that's who they would call. So I think that's very cool. You know, my father also was a musician. He played the trumpet. Oh, cool. And his whole thing was the big band era as well. And throughout his career, you know, he always was playing with one big band or another. But it was never a full-time gig for him because it was pretty hard to do that full-time. Right, right. Well, these guys really did this and they did it on on the air too. I think they're... Their real full-time job was on the radio. And that was a good, uh, big part of their career from the late forties into the sixties. And also, if you, if you want to know this, this is a pretty cool thing. My father played the organ for the twins from day one, the Minnesota twins, the baseball team. And they, they both played my, until my father passed away in 69 at age 48, the poor guy. Um, my mother took over after that and played four more years after that until they decided, you know, the the powers that be wanted her to play like bump, 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 bump. She said, nope, I'm not doing it. See ya. <laughs> All right. How many you know, times did they play take me out to the ball game, huh? Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine that? And, uh, well, they played a lot of good stuff. They played like uh, on a clear day and then, then they would play different different genres of music but mostly jazz to whoever was going out to bat get, getting up to bat they would they would pick a song for that guy and they loved it those guys always loved that kind of thing you had a very hip you know couple of parents well they're pretty cool and they're playing some very hip music i'm thinking you know i grew up in new york and at yankee stadium there was a guy named eddie layton that played the organ yeah, i know the name and i mean he was there forever Okay, along with Bob Shepard, who was the announcer for the New York Yankees at the time. Sure. 
Who was the announcer for the Twins during this era? His name was Bob. Um, I'm, I'm going to think about it. Hang on a second. It says, as, uh, they were in the same booth together, so I, I know this. I'll, I'll, I'll remember his last name. All right. This was like the Harmon Killebrew era in, Min, in Minnesota. Exactly right. It's like Azoilo Versalis. It was Jim Codd. It was Tony Oliva. It was all, you know, it was a... It was like the purple people eaters <laughs> like the, of the twins. <laughs> I want you, you know. to know, speaking of the purple people eaters, I went to one football game in Minnesota. Okay. This was a million years ago. Right. It was when the stadium there was outdoors. It was not covered. And it was the coldest experience that I ever had in my life. Okay. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> At halftime, everybody went into the men's room because they had these big hot air blowers. To keep you warm. Oh, my God. So what was it like playing music in Minnesota? Well, growing up here, you know, there was a lot of music going on ever since I can remember. When I started professionally, I started around 15, 14, 15 years old. I was playing teen dances and stuff like that. But as far as clubs were concerned, growing up and learning the ropes and doing that stuff when I was a kid, we were playing all the time. We were playing five nights a week, you know, really? and, yeah. uh, and going to school and, and doing all that stuff. So the music and, and all the genres, I mean, it was, it was more of a, for me, it was more of a pop slash R and B thing that I played, you know, covers, I assume. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and it, it grew into some different things. Like it grew into jazz, more jazzy, more fusiony kind of things. And, and and people, you know, back in the 70s, early 70s, that's what people were listening to at that time, or the people I was hanging around with anyway, you know, were listening to all sorts of fusion was a huge deal, as you know, you know, because I know you played that music for a long time. You're right. I always thought that there was a great era. I loved it. It had the power of rock and roll and the sophistication of jazz put together. You had such wonderful musicians that were playing it from miles to chick Corea to herbie hancock i never understood why it got a bad name what do you think i don't know it was a, it's kind of a fusion is a dumb name anyway <laughs> it should have been i don't i i don't know what would you have called it i, I you know i would have called it some i don't know what would you make up another name huh maybe you're right maybe it was the name who knows yeah. all right so you progressed from all of this doing the covers and and all of that stuff how did you get with sanborn tell us about that you know what? I uh, I have to give most of the kudos of that one to Ben Sidron, and I met Ben. Right. Yeah, no, Ben Sidron is a is a, is a bebop pianist who's a, like a Mose Allison, who who I'm sure you've heard of before. Ben Sidron. Okay. Does he also do reviews? Because I that's oh, how yeah. I thought I remembered him. Absolutely, man. He was okay. he he's written books. He's done a lot of stuff. He's a philosopher of of music for for me and for a lot of people he is a he's got a doctorate in philosophy and he was one of those guys who's a grand bebop player man he loves playing bebop and he had a great career in the 70s himself he was he had a couple of song for a sucker like me i don't know if you remember anything like that there were there i mean he had some hits actually in the jazz idiom and uh, i met him through my brother billy who was an up wonderful upright bass player my older brother willard his name is actually, and uh, Ben saw me play with one of the bands and, and really liked what I was doing because I had a different kind of a funk vibe that he liked. And he, this is the beginning and before 
what they called now is smooth jazz. It was more of a jazz funk thing that we were doing. And he really liked it. So he hired me to come and produce some of his records and, and play on his records and, and bring my ability of what I was doing to his music. And I met him. And of course, he went on from there. It, it like it domino effect. It just went boom, boom, boom. I met, I met Tommy LaPuma. And I know you know who Tommy LaPuma is. And one of the greatest producers on the planet who did George Benson and, and uh, I mean, Barbara Streisand and so many different people, Diana Krall. One of the greats. And one of the greats. Anyways, he introduced me to Tommy. Tommy at the time was producing a record for Bob James and David Sanborn at the time, which was Double Vision. And David didn't have a band to go out and, and do this. They had, they had done that. They had done the record, but they didn't really tour it together, if I remember correctly. And David was going to go out and do a tour, but David didn't have a band. He had a, he had a guitar player. He had Hiram Bullock. Mm-hmm. And San or, um, um, La Puma at the time said, listen, I got this kid, Ricky Peterson, Ben Sitter, and introduced me, and I want you to hear him play. I want you to do it. So I did a demo for David. One of his songs, can't, I think it was Run for Cover. And uh, I brought my Minnesota musicians in, and we sat in the studio. And this is during the time. I mean, there's a whole other story behind the, the, the studio part of that, too. But this is how I got to meet David Sanborn. I'm just curious. You know, Sanborn had a TV show, kind of a late-night television show. Was this that same era that we're no, talking this about? No, is, this is, that's way later. This is, this is back in 1984. Okay. 84, 85 is when I started playing with David Sanborn. So when I met David, I think it was more like 82, 83, something like that. And it kind of progressed on from there. And then I finally started playing with David in 85. And so it's been more like 30, almost 40 years that I've been off and on with David. So um, <laughs> amazingly so. Amazing is right. Yeah. Well, he's a, he's a dear friend and and of course a... You know, yeah, an icon, a giant. All right. I want to hear about some of these other folks that you have played with that I named in the introduction, because, you know, it, again, it's like a who's who of who you played with, right. you know, from Stevie Nicks to Bonnie Raya to James Taylor to Billy Joel. Tell us a little bit of how that happened and what the stories were. Okay, sure. I can tell you about, uh, well, Stevie Nicks, um, I'll, I'll, I'll start from kind of the, the scratch of, of before that I was with Bonnie Raitt for a few years. I mean, I met Bonnie back in 78 or something like that. And her brother, Steve, excuse me, is a dear friend of mine. And we were, we were colleagues for a long time. And, and, and Bonnie, she would come here and we use our band, the TC jammers or the twin city jammers. We called it. She would use our band when she would come and play here in Minnesota. Well, it went on, you know, uh, it went on and on. And after years of uh, knowing her and being good friends with her, um, I played with her for about eight years um, through her brothers, our friends, my friends uh, had a brain tumor. And, and so I held her hand through that. And during those times, we had the best time playing together. That was one of the girls that I played with. Stevie Nicks came around because of the fact good friend of mine whose name is Lenny Castro who's a great percussion player we both were playing with with a um John Mayer ah. so I was I did John Mayer I did the continuum record with Steve Jordan 
And after I was done that, I did that for a year. And after I did that, I said, well, what are you going to do, man? Lenny, what do you got cooking? And he said, well, I'm going to go play with Stevie Nicks. And I said, hmm, Stevie Nicks. I've always liked Stevie Nicks. You know, we kind of grew up with the Fleetwood Mac thing. And uh, I said, do they need a keyboard player? And Lenny said, I think they do. So they were holding auditions and I, 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 I was fine to go audition and go do it and have fun because obviously I knew all the guys in the band. I knew, I knew Wadi Wachtel, who was her musical director, Carlos Rios and I had played together for years as another guitar player, great guitar player. I was one of the last guys to go and, and do the audition for him. And of course I, I, for some reason got the gig. So that's how I, that's how I met Stevie. And it just kind of, you know, blew up from there. One thing after another. Yeah. One right after another, just kind of, it's word of mouth for me. It really has been. And George Benson was another La Puma thing. I, I produced two records for George. And and of course the Prince thing, I know you'll get into that in a little minute here, but uh, you know, it all consecutively speaking, that they're, they're all joggled, you know, it's all over the place. So what a run, baby. What a run. Hey, man, I have no complaints. I'm the luckiest human on the planet. You know, I really am. I'm playing music for a living. Thank you. Good for you. That's pretty hard to do sometimes. Hi, everybody. This is Robert Miller. My new single, All of the Time, is a playful, whimsical love song. It's light and airy and exudes the happiness and joy of being in love. The reviewers love it, too. Melody Maker has given it five stars and calls it pure bliss an intimate sound with abundant melodic riches. Pop Icon also gave it five stars and called it ecstasy. You can stream all of the time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or any of the other streaming platforms. The links are in the show notes to this episode. And you can download it from the pgsstore.com. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast and give us a nice review too, if you're so inclined. You can do all of that and check out all of our episodes by visiting our website at followyourdreampodcast.com. I want to thank you for listening and keep on rocking. All right, let's go to the second half of this episode because we're talking about all the names and we've got some music here that we're going to be listening to. The first thing I got teed up is a song that I guess you did with David Sanborn. It's his cover of Spooky by the Classics Four. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Um, Spooky is uh, one of the songs that David and I actually loved. And this record, Songs from the Night Before, was a record that I was the producer on. And uh, it was one of the first things that Marcus Miller um, was too busy to be producing because Marcus did most of the producing for David. 
And David and I were already thick as thieves. We were having a ball and writing stuff together. We we're on the road when we were playing on the road. We would write stuff. And Spooky was one of the songs he said, I really want to do that song. So in this in the hotel room, I had a little, you know, I had a, a little setup where I would I could sequence stuff, you know. So I, I came up with the groove on it and and uh and it this is how it turned out. It just turned out great, man. You know, it's so interesting because it's not a song that you would kind of think of as turning out the way you got it. I mean, you, you came up with a really cool arrangement on it. I appreciate that. It was a 1960s song, you know? Exactly. That's all. But how cool of a song was it, though, when we first heard it? When I first heard it, I just went, and the saxophone player, and he was a bebop player, you could tell right away, you know? <laughs> so I was more of a jazzy player, but the guys who sang it, I loved the whole vibe of those of the Classics Five. All right, so the next one we're going to now, this is your Prince era, so we had to put a, a Prince song in this. Okay. The most beautiful girl in the world. Tell us about your relationship with Prince, what you did with him, and tell us about this song. Okay. This could get long. <laughs> but back in uh, 1979, I met Prince, and uh, I was going to play in his band. And I remember um, one of the things that he did, he was kind of a stickler for people that, uh, you know, that he wanted them to do exactly what he was going to do. And I knew I had that in my back of my head when he asked me to play with the band, it was going to be in the revolution, I believe was the name of the band that I was going to be playing with. So I turned him down. I said, no, Prince, I can't do that. Cause I, you know, I know what you're going to want me to do. I'm, I'm going to have to sit up there and do dances and, and play, you know, one chord wonders all night. And I said, I can't do that. Cause I've, I've got my own thing that I'd like to do. And he respected that from me, from me. And, uh, ongoing i i met him you know I, we'd keep running into each other during purple rain during all this stuff and then he built paisley park and and a dear friend of mine tom tucker and i um who was he was a, he was one, one of my partners actually he was an engineer that was one of the greatest engineers i ever worked with he and i went out and worked at paisley park prince gave me a room he said i love you man you go up and do your thing i had a studio in my little room up there and we had carte blanche all over paisley park and he threw me a bone, man. He said, listen, I've got this record company now. It's called Paisley Park Records. And it's a part of Warner Brothers. And this was at the time when he was fighting with Warner Brothers at, you know, when he wrote Slave on his cheek and everything. Right, and right. at that time, he had an ability or he had an opportunity to do a song off the record, off of Warner Brothers label. And and he handed it to me and said, Ricky, see what you can do with this song. And this is how it turned out. So this is his song. It's his song. He wrote it. But I, I did the arrangement of it, and I wrote a lot of the changes on it. So, But it's his song. He handed it to me with all the, he had all the lyrics and the vocals on it already. But the rest of it was undecipherable. So I wrote most of the music on it. Good for you. That's an interesting story. Yeah. Okay. So you played with uh, George Benson, you know, great guitarist. And uh, we're playing now a, a little bit of this song, Pea Park, 
which I thought was very funky. Tell us about your relationship there. Well, of course, I met him through Tommy LaPuma also. And Tommy and I produced a record called That's Right for George. And uh, George and I became fast friends right away. And of course, we did the whole record at Paisley Park. And I had already had a groove down that George really loved. And he, and he said, hey, let me put a, let me put a, you know, a melody on that. So George and I wrote this song together. And I had the groove down. He said, let's call it Pea Park. <laughs> and this is how it turned out. I got it. So Pea Park is Paisley Park. I got it. All right. So now we're going to go to some Ricky Peterson stuff. Um, you got a song called Look Who's Lonely Now. Heard you call a falling star Down on Sunset Boulevard What a Tell us about that one. It was one of those songs that, uh, that I got a demo of and the demo was, was very, very lighthearted, even though it had tragic lyrics to it. I took the song and rewrote the song around a more, you know, melancholy vibe only because it was, uh, it was to me, the lyrics were tragic. You know, it's a, <laughs> you know, for this, this poor human, this guy got, got completely burned by this girl, you know, and it's always the case in some of these sad songs, but that's what I did with this one. I see. Okay. Last one is a Peterson brothers song under the radar. Tell us about that and tell us about your brothers. You mentioned Willard, but tell us about the other guys. I have two brothers and my little nephew, not little, not so little, but uh, Paul, my younger brother, who is a master musician, plays all instruments and, you know, he's a jack of all trades and plays them all really, really good, man. He's one of those, I call him a freak. He's just like a, you know, he's a, he's a, they all are, man. They're all such great musicians. Billy, Billy, I call him Billy. His name is Willard. 
And then my cousin, or, or my nephew, Jason, my oldest sister's son, played saxophone on it. And this came to be about three years ago when I just said, listen, you guys, let's go in and make a record together with just us, the four of us. And my brother, Paul, who is, like I said, he can play everything. He ended up playing drums on this record. My brother, Billy, played upright. And Jason played saxophone. He played alto. And I played organ. And we came up with these grooves. And it actually worked really well and got some great accolades, man. And we're, we're very happy with it. Loved it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you've been, this is like a, a, a musical trip for me and the audience because you've been playing with everybody over the years. Good for you. Tell us what you're doing these days. Well, I just got done doing a two-year stint with Fleetwood Mac. And we did that for right before COVID. And now everybody kind of, you know, they, they let all the music go. There was no real uh, anybody playing live. So right now I'm back out with the Peterson brothers and we're doing a bunch of gigs with that. And we're also doing Stevie Nicks and uh, Stevie Nicks and I are going back out in September for about a month and a half. So we're looking forward to that. Fantastic. We have been talking here with Ricky Peterson. I called you a musician's musician. And I mean that in good faith because you have just played with so many people, such great music that you've made over the years I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has really been a lot of fun. And we're going to listen now to that song of mine that I started out playing underneath the introduction. We'll play it here at the end. It's my song called Metro Shuffle that happens to feature Mindy Abair on the sax. I want to thank you for listening, and we'll see you all in the next episode. Thanks so much, Ricky. Hey, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com. <laughs>